The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good, good morning, church family. Are we ready for church today? How many of you ready? Are we ready to get in the Word? I'm telling you what, it's exciting just to be able to sit here on the front row and hear a church family just really singing out to God. I'm telling you what, it's something special. In fact, every once in a while, if you, some of you want to join us near the front, you get like full surround sound. It's awesome. You'd love it. It's incredible. And we're looking forward to an awesome, awesome day. Well, today is the kickoff of our Spiritual Renewal Conference, and so on a regular basis, about every year or so, uh, we like to set aside some time really just to dive in a little deeper to God's Word and gathering with God's people. And so for the next few days, uh, we're going to have some services, and so tonight... At 5 o'clock, we're going to meet again for some prayer, for some worship, for some Bible teaching. And then Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, uh, we're going to just take some time to get together with God's people, spend time in prayer, spend time in worship, spend time just around God's Word. I will say I know this is schools kind of getting back in session for those of you with families and things. And so I promise you we won't make these incredibly long services. Right, Brother John? These aren't going to be incredibly long. So, okay. All right. Just going to want to make sure here. And... Uh, they won't be, we'll, we'll be wrapping them up right about, you know, 8 o'clock, 8.15, but uh, I, I just want to take some time as we start a brand new year, and, and really think about this, a brand new decade, as we move into a new decade of ministry, uh, as a church family, we want to enter into this season uh, with a heart posture that is, that is, you know, focused on God and focused on His Word, and so I, I'd like to invite as many of you as possible uh, to come and to join us for these next few days. Uh, to try to make it a little bit easier for some of you who have work and schedules with things. Uh, we are going to be making dinner available each night at 6.30. That'll be free of charge. We'll provide some food for you if you come in at 6.30 over there in the uh, teen room. And we'll have some food available 6.30. And then at 7 o'clock, we'll start right on time and just kind of get right into our service. And so we're looking forward to a wonderful time together. Uh, Brother John is no stranger to us. I, I was telling him, uh, we've seen some... Some things change over the last 10 years or so, you know, here, there. But uh, Brother John's been one of our constants and just all through the years, just coming, preaching God's word, challenging us as a church family. He's been such a good friend to me. He's been such a good friend to our church family. And I'm blessed to be able to have him with us for this special set of meetings. So he'll preach each and every night. I know he'll encourage you. If you've been around here for any length of time, he's no stranger. He gets in here every year or so. And we are so thankful for him and his ministry. And he was able to invite his family, joined him along this year. I see Mary Lynn back there, and uh, we're so thankful that you were able to uh, join along with him and uh, just excited about what God has for us here this week. So here's what I want you to do. Get your Bibles out. Uh, we're a Bible teaching church. We could get in our Bibles, so pull out your Bibles, pull out your phones, whatever it is you use, open them up, and most importantly, open up your heart, all right? Open up your heart and just prepare yourself for, for what God has for us here today. Brother John, you come and give us God's Word. All right, thank you so much. Mark chapter 10 in the Word of God this morning, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. What a joy to be back here. I was just looking at my records. I think this is my eighth meeting here. And so what a blessing. And I so appreciate the friendship of your pastor. And uh, many of you have gotten to know over the years and the staff as well as in the congregation. And it's always been a, a refreshment uh, to fellowship uh, around the Lord Jesus. That's where I find real fellowship is at. The world has socialization. God's people have fellowship that's around a person. 
And when that's real, that's where there's that dynamic that makes a radical difference. Let me go ahead and my wife, Mary Lynn and Sunshine Jr. stand up. And glad to have them with me this time around. And uh, yes, thank you for that. Sometimes they don't get to travel with me when I fly, but this time we're all here because we've got several meetings in a row here in California. We've actually been down in L.A. for the last week and a half and uh, enjoyed the sunshine there. <laughs> and then uh, now we're here, then we headed up to Redwood City and then back down to Simi Valley before we head back uh, uh, to uh, Michigan and then on down to the south, <laughs> east, <laughs> and so forth. Evangelists have to go to either California or Arizona or Florida in the wintertime. <laughs> You know, it's just, you know, it's just the will of God, you know. Uh, somebody said, I hate to be in a, you know, a lost person in the, in, in, uh, in the north in the wintertime when all the evangelists go south. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, it's because of those fifth wheel trailers. Now, this time around, I don't have it with me. I had it here, I think, two years ago. Uh, but that's, uh, that's the reason for that. Well, uh, I understand you had a prayer meeting a few weeks ago and a special day seeking the Lord in regard to this meeting. I praise the Lord for that. I understand there was another prayer meeting last Friday night, probably others that I don't know about. That thrills me, because when God's people are crying out, it makes a difference. Do you know from Genesis to Revelation, you can do a study, it's fascinating, that every time the people of God cried out, God delivered, <laughs> without fail. When there's actual, genuine heart cry, uh, God steps in and delivers. And so I appreciate you praying. But now that we've started the meeting, let me encourage you to keep praying. Have a heart cry meeting. Get alone with God or get together with somebody and uh, lift your voice and cry out. You know, why not say, God, God, you know this issue in my life. This is a hindrance. I need you to give me the truth that you know will set me free in this particular area. Now, if you went to God with that, do you think God would hear you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There may be an area where you just feel weak in, in your witness. And so well, why not say, God, would you give me the truth that would equip me to effectiveness in declaring your truth? And again, obviously, God delights to do that. So honestly, I have been in meetings where people take this seriously. If you will take it seriously, I'm, telling, I'm saying everyone here, take it seriously. Cry out to God every day of this meeting and say, God, would you give me what you know I need that will draw me closer to you? And I'm telling you, when you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. That's who he is. Our God prefers to revive rather than to judge. And so I love the uh, theme here, spiritual renewal. It is that uh, getting uh, uh, back with God where his life explodes into our personalities and you access your, uh, the eternal life that you received at salvation as the abundant life. And that is the very essence of revival. It is life again. It's accessing his very life. So I trust we'll be uh, praying in that regard. And obviously in a meeting like this, this is just the start. And we've got tonight and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights. And so they have the opportunity for a number of services in a shorter period of time. It allows for what we call the cumulative effect of preaching. Doesn't that sound fancy? <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, where you've got a, a number of sermons closer together so that you can actually build truth upon truth and, and uh, hopefully remember the previous truth so you can connect the dots. And there's a value to that and a build-up to that that is uh, it's a wonderful God-given dynamic. Well, let's begin this morning by looking at the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to the end of this chapter. We'll read the whole story here in just a moment. Uh, but to begin with, I want us to just look at one verse to launch into this amazing passage of Scripture that I trust will launch us into this spiritual renewal time as we seek the face of the Lord. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10 and I am reading verse 51. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, 
Rabboni, or Rabbi, Lord, that I may receive my sight. The title of the message is The Divine Offer. What do you want me to do for you? Let's pray and ask the Spirit of God to speak to us. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation, this pastor, this people, these days that have been set aside to seek your reviving presence. Lord, you're the only one that can bring true spiritual renewal. We ask you to. Lord, you know our needs. Lord, you know where we're at. You know where we are in our journey with you. Lord, wherever we are, speak to each of our hearts, Lord. Give us the truth that's needed, truth that's personified in you, that sets free. And so, Lord, quicken us right here from the start. Nurture faith. May we respond in glad surrender, glad faith. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus. We sang about it this morning to protect us from the attack of the enemy. And, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy. And in your name, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this hour and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, speak to our hearts, and may we bow the knee to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Childhood impressions can have lasting impact. Because of that truth, there was a man at my home church when I grew up in the Chicago area where my dad pastored who asked if he could be the Sunday school teacher for the preschool kids. Now, this man was about six foot six, and he was a giant. He was a big man, and so uh, he wanted to teach the preschoolers. But the reason was not to scare them with his size. He wanted the opportunity to tell Bible stories, true stories, obviously. They're the Word of God. But to have that opportunity for that first impression with a child, that can have lasting impact for decades. And obviously, when we look at our Bible, there are some great stories in the Word of God. You know, <laughs> creation alone is phenomenal. Uh, and then you move along, and of course, uh, early on in Genesis, you run into the flood and Noah and that amazing deliverance uh, with the ark. And as you read on through Genesis, lots of stories there with Abraham and Isaac and so on. You get to Joseph, that's an incredible story. And you, you continue on in the history of Israel and the battle of Jericho, that's a biggie. <laughs> and then, of course, David and Goliath, that, that, stands, that's, that's a, that, that one's going to get told to the preschoolers. Uh, no doubt about it. Probably Jonah uh, as you move along and the great fish. And, uh, of course, Daniel and the lion's den, these are great stories. And then you get to the New Testament and the miracles of Jesus. You know, when I was a kid, I don't know, maybe six years old. My parents, one Christmas time, got me some little books that were illustrated books of Bible accounts. And uh, I remember them. In my mind's eye, as I look at you to, uh, this morning, I can think and I can remember the cover designs and some of the pictures in these books. Here I am, 57. It's a lot of years later, 51 years later. And, uh, you know, these first impressions, they're lasting. And I remember the picture they had for the Battle of Jericho. And I remember one of the books was about a man named Bartimaeus. Now, Bartimaeus doesn't usually rank up there with the big stories. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, I remember that one. It's a precious story. It's in our text. The man we're reading about here, we find out earlier in the context, his name is Bartimaeus. And this is this amazing account. And it's become one of my favorites here when it comes to the Gospels. And uh, so you read there in verse 51, Jesus said to him, What? do you want me to do for you? What an offer. Maybe we would say, how may I help you? <laughs> Can you imagine if Jesus were standing here 
in person like he did 2,000 years ago. And he gave an invitation to each of you and said, what do you want me to do for you? I'm going to tell you, friends, I don't think we'd be sitting passively by. (laughs) We'd be lined up. Now, friends, he is speaking that to us. He is here in the person of his spirit. And he is saying, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, friends, hear the offer, the divine offer from Jesus this morning. What do you want me to do for you? As you come into a spiritual renewal a week like this, are we just going through motions and routine? No. What do you want me to do for you? Hear that divine offer. Now, Sometimes people wonder, well, is it really fair to apply that statement that Jesus made to this literal man, Bartimaeus? Is it legitimate for us to apply this divine offer to us? Well, let's take a moment then to look at the biblical account so that we can discern the timeless principle, that's key, and then make appropriate spiritual applications. Let's begin with the biblical account. If you'll back up here to the beginning of the story, it's in verse uh, 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as he, that's a reference to Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Now Jericho, I'm told, at the time of Christ, was a city of about 100,000 people. Uh, Compared to California cities, that may seem small. (laughs) Uh, Compared to cities in the Midwest, that's a pretty good-sized city, 100,000 people. Uh, Even in our day, that's that's not a small town. That's that's a large uh, uh, town, city, we could say. Uh, Not as big as the millions we have today, but when you think of the fact of what the population would have been on the planet at that time, this is huge. So Jesus comes, he goes through that city, now he's coming out of that city, we're told, with his disciples, we know their names, and then it says, and a great multitude. This is a lot of people. This is not just Jesus and the twelve, this is, in addition, a great multitude multitude this is a lot of people this is a lot of sound this is a lot of commotion and that's when we read that blind Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus sat by the road begging I remember my father took me to the Bible lands when I was 15 years old and I remember I was amazed because what you picture when you read a story like this a man with maybe robes or rags sitting by the road and he's begging they're still there and just, you know, outside Jerusalem, Jericho, and so on, I saw these people, and they still look like what you envisioned them to look like. And so here he is. This is how he survives. He sits by a major thoroughfare, and he begs. Then we read, and when he heard, so he heard all this commotion, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I love this. Apparently, he'd already heard about Jesus. Because if this is the first time he'd heard about Jesus, he would have, well, who's he? So obviously, for him to immediately cry out to this Jesus to have mercy on him, he'd heard about this Jesus. He heard that this Jesus healed people. He heard that this Jesus had made blind men like him see. Can you imagine if you were blind and you'd heard that there's this Jesus and he's healed blind people and now this Jesus is walking by you? (laughs) 
Incredible the thrill, the adrenaline surge. He'd heard about Jesus healing the lame and uh, the deaf and making mute people speak and uh, 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 lame people walk and raising even the dead. And now he hears that this Jesus, this same Jesus is walking by where he's at. And so there's this surge that goes through him and he cries out. I'm going to tell you, this was no mere quiet cry. He cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then the crowd said, ah, be quiet. Amazing. They warned him. They charged him. That's not a credit card. Uh, They uh, commanded him, be quiet, hush up. But he didn't listen to them. (laughs) He cried out all the more. What if he had bowed to the crowd? What if he would have let the fear of man through peer pressure, all these people telling him, be quiet, hush up! You're a nuisance! What if he would have allowed them to just, oh man, this was a great opportunity, I missed it. He would have missed it. I'm going to tell you, friends, it's time we stop listening to the crowd. It's time we stop listening to to the fear of man pressure and get to Jesus. He knew if he could get to Jesus, everything would change. And so he cries out all the more. You know what that is? It's faith. He knew that if he could get to Jesus, Jesus would change his life. And so he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then verse 49, so Jesus stood still. He stopped. And he commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. And I love this. He is calling you. Oh, <laughs> Can you imagine hearing that? This Jesus is calling for you. And that's when we read that throwing aside his garment, that was about all he had. At this point, he knew he was going to get a whole lot more. So he throws aside his garment, and he rose, and he came to Jesus. And that's when we come to our text. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he knew exactly what he wanted. And he says, Rabbi, Rabboni, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Now, it's interesting. The word that's uh, translated sight here is a compound word. Uh, Usually, it's just the one word, but in this case, it has a prefix that means again. Just like renew. (laughs) So here it is. He's saying that I might receive my sight again. Quite possible, this man had been born seen and had lost his sight. Different than the man in John 9 who was born blind. He says, Lord, that I might receive my sight again. And Jesus, verse 52, said to him, go your way. Your faith, your dependence on me has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, friends, understand that happened. And sometimes we say Bible stories, and I fear that kids are thinking it's just like any other fable or whatever. No, no. This happened. This is a narrative in the inspired word of God. This occurred. This man was real, as real as you and I. This event took place. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he was very specific that I might receive my sight again. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. So there's our biblical account. Now, secondly, let's move from the account to the timeless principle. What you see here is Jesus makes an offer. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responds, Lord, that I might receive my sight. 
And then Jesus responds to Bartimaeus. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. So what you see there is a pattern. You'll find this all throughout the word of God. God stirs. You respond. And God works. That truth shook my paradigm where I was at in 1991. In those days, I was so against Calvinism, I uh, felt like man could just believe what he wanted to. That's not really true. God has to first stir. And God used a little book called Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray to highlight Philippians 2.13 to my heart. For it is God which worketh in you. See, there's God stirring. Both to will, there's man's response. And to do, there's God's now delivering by his power of his good pleasure. So what you find then is, on the one hand, it's not fatalistic. On the other hand, it's not unfettered choice. It's man responding to God and then God responding to man who just responded to God. (laughs) Because God always responds to those who respond to him. So it starts with God and it ends with God and sandwiched in between is man's faith. But faith is not a work. And we're going to take the word faith and just just peel it back, uh, uh, Lord willing, tonight. Uh, uh, Excited about that truth. But uh, the bottom line is faith is always a response to God first working. Now, you have to respond. It's not automatic. You can resist. You can, you can step away in unbelief, and you can limit the Holy One of Israel, which is a tragedy. But the truth is, when you respond in faith, that's when God steps in and works. So you have this divine offer. There's a divine initiation, followed by this human response, this faith response, then followed by this divine deliverance, this divine enablement. There's God's pattern. God stirs. You respond, and God works. You know what it's like as you're sitting in church service and then your pastor is preaching and all of a sudden some truth in the Word of God just stirs you. Okay, that's God. And when you respond in faith, God is going to enable. Why? Because he stirred you, which means it's his will. He wouldn't stir you if it wasn't his will for you. So you can then have confidence to respond in faith. And what happens is, then since faith is God dependence, it is bringing you into union with God's will because he stirred you to trust him for this and God's power because when you trust him, he will enable you. Faith always brings you into union with the will and the power of Almighty God. It's phenomenal. So there's the timeless principle. God stirs. You respond. God works. That's how the divine pattern, the divine economy is laid out. Now, that brings us to the spiritual applications. Now, obviously, in our story, in our true biblical account here, feel free to move that briefcase, shove it on the floor, whatever. (laughs) It's in the way. Uh, No problem. Good to have you here today. Um, We come now to the spiritual applications. And it's fascinating to me. You know, obviously, in this account, uh, Bartimaeus was blind physically. We read other accounts where people were deaf or they were lame or they were mute or they were paralyzed or in some cases they had died, (laughs) and they're delivered in every one of those cases. That's what we see God doing in the physical sense. Now, does God still heal in our world today? Yes, he does. Uh, I know of many (laughs) supernatural divine healings, and when you read church history, they've happened for 2,000 years. They did not cease in the book of Acts. They're still around. They're marvelous, but not always is it God's will for people to be healed, I have a dear friend who has a grandchild that was born three months ago and uh, born with an unusual illness. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. They're from the country of Myanmar. And I'm going to tell you, these people know how to pray. And then God took that child last night or yesterday. 
So it's not always God's will to heal physically. But here's the point. In the spiritual realm, the spiritual applications, it is always God's will to deliver, to heal. So let's make the applications. In our story, we have blindness. So let's start with being spiritually blind. What is that? What is it to be spiritually blind? Well, in the Gospel of John, you don't have to turn there, chapter 9, you have another account of a blind man being healed. In that case, it's a man who was born blind. And toward the end of that uh, account, Jesus says some things that are uh, exposing the sham of the Pharisees. And they begin to get the idea that he's digging at us. (laughs) And so they say to him, are we blind also? Now, obviously, they're not talking about physical blindness because they're not physically blind. And he says to them, if you say you see, you walk in darkness. You're blind. Now, fascinating. In the physical realm, a blind man knows he's blind. In the spiritual realm, you can be blind spiritually and not know it. It's deception. He says, if you say you see, in other words, the problem with the Pharisees is they thought they were okay. Who needs Jesus? We're good. We do the right things. We don't do the, you know, the things we shouldn't do. Hey, man, we're fine. You know, if we're not careful, we can end up in that mode. Not necessarily for justification, though many do. But even when you're born again, you come to faith for the Lord to save you and justify you. It's possible to go back to that kind of self-dependence in the matter of sanctification. That's where I was growing up. It's strange to me because my father understood what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. He was a truly Spirit-filled man. In fact, when I was his assistant, five years, I have notes in the margins uh, of my Bible where I would write down what Dad said. For example, he was preaching on grace one time. And he said, grace is supernatural enablement. You know, that's spot on. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. And I wrote it down, but right over my head. He said, why did it go over your head? Well, when you think you're okay, you know, I'm ticking the boxes. Do this, don't do this. I had all that stuff down. <laughs> so I thought. What happens is you think, hey, I'm good. I'm not doing this stuff and all this stuff, whatever. And what happens is you think you're okay, and when you think you're okay, forgive the expression, who needs God? It's called self-righteousness. But it's a tragedy and it's a deception because it's a filthy rag because only God meets the standard of God. That is why we need imputed righteousness, credited righteousness in justification, and why we need imparted righteousness, enabled righteousness in sanctification. And friends, for me, I was blind for years. And I remember when God began to open my eyes. And that was just the beginning because there's a lot of layers of self that got to be peeled back. You know, they take decades sometimes. But, uh, and they hurt. But at any rate, as God began to show me, look, look how self self-willed and self-dependent yeah it's all in the name of religion and doing right in church and whatever but you're ignoring me friends you are not living the christian life if you ignore the christian life himself (laughs) his name is jesus he moved in to live his life not yours you see he's the divine someone that moved into the human someone so that by faith you access him and his life animates yours that's the christian life That's the Spirit filling you with the life of Jesus. That's the Spirit-filled life. And I remember thinking, wow. God began to open my eyes in 1993, and I realized, wow, so much of what I've done is just John. 
It's just me. Oh, yeah, yeah, to do this, don't do that, look good. And some of those things we're right to do and not do. But I'm telling you, it's missing the life. That's terrible. That's tragedy. That's flesh. It's fleshly religion. <laughs> but it's flesh. Satan doesn't care which flesh you have, whether it's irreligion or religion. As long as it's flesh, he didn't give a rip. And so God began to open my own eyes. Look, you need me. Not just to go to heaven. You need me to experience heaven on earth. <laughs> and so maybe you're spiritually blind. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> and you can say, just like Bartimaeus, Lord, that I may see. In other words, if you're here today and you do not know with biblical confidence what it means to be filled with the Spirit and know it, then you can say to Jesus, Lord, I need to know this. I need to see I need to understand what it means to be filled with you and actually know that. Now, friends, if you'll cry out to the Lord that way, he will answer. And as these services unfold, we're going to unfold faith tonight, then we're going to go further to Monday night, we're going to go even further on Tuesday night. That's how this is going to work. It's a progression. And friends, Lord willing, if you're here today thinking, I don't really, I, don't, I can't say, I hope I'm filled. I, you know, I asked God to fill me, but I don't really know. Okay, if that's where you're at, ask Jesus to show you, and I'm telling you, he will. So spiritual blindness. Let's go to another application. How about spiritual deafness? You know, I find that there are times when we, when various individuals who know the Lord in salvation, don't seem to know how to hear his voice. Now, Jesus is not a respecter of persons. He talks to all, he talks to all of us. If you're a child of God, God talks to you. Have you learned his voice? Well, how can I learn it? Well, have you ever had a time when the Word of God came alive to you? That was His voice. Recognize it. Learn to discern that voice. You know how voice recognition goes? You know, on our phones today, it tells us who's calling. But some of us remember when the phone rang and you didn't know who it was. Remember those days? <laughs> Maybe not very many, but a few in this audience might know. And, you know, that, that first word or two, and you recognize who it is before they tell you. See, voice recognition. I remember one time I called uh, uh, one of my brother's house, and, and he's got uh, uh, several kids, and, and uh, the, you know, all the kids were growing up, and so their voices were kind of changing, and one of the daughters answered one of my nieces, and I'm thinking, which one is it? And uh, so I, I stammered. I went, uh, she goes, oh, Uncle Johnny, how you doing? <laughs> so with one stammer, she knew my voice. <laughs> now, friends, God wants us to learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. He really does. And you can know that voice. It's a wonderful thing to discern that voice. I remember when I was, uh, again, working with my father, there was a decision I had to make, and I would always ask my dad for his advice, but this time he wouldn't give it. Now, I knew he knew the answer, but he was forcing me to get to God, <laughs> learn to hear his voice, and he was willing for me to blow it. <laughs> so I'd learn. <laughs> and so learn that voice. And so maybe you're thinking, man, I don't really know how to hear the voice of the Lord. I'm, not, I, I'm always struggling. Is this the will of God? Is this not? You know, is this really the leading of the Spirit or is this a counterfeit? Now look, there are Bible statements that when the Spirit of God unlocks to your understanding, it gives you guidelines and you begin to know the voice of the Spirit. And so Jesus says to you today, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, heal me of this spiritual deafness. How about lameness in the physical realm? Jesus healed many that were crippled 
that were lame. So here's another application. Do you have a sin habit that cripples you? <laughs> a lot of people do. You know what? Jesus is the healer. If he can heal people who literally can't walk, that's just physical. This is spiritual. This is the bigger deal. But there's nothing hard for God. Do you know that God can deliver? There's a lot of crippling habits. We live in a world that God is not surprised by. Man's always, since the fall of man, had a sinful heart until they come to know God and begin to access the divine nature. But we live in a world that pressures towards sin. That's just because they're under the influence of the God of this world that always tries to influence us away from the one true God. Well, we live in a sensual world. And uh, sometimes people get into habits that cripple them because they are indulging their flesh with sensual viewing and other forms of things that cripple them. You know, back when I was a kid, preachers preached against the theater. And maybe in that day there was a reason to. Things keep changing in our world now you know you've got all these handheld devices and so on to access all sorts of things you know it's easy for us to look back and condemn the former generation <laughs> what we got to remember is that the next generation is going to look back on us and condemn us but one of the things that we see looking back is that maybe they should have preached against bad content that's the issue the issue is not the venue the issue is what are you watching now, this is a good group this morning. Praise the Lord. But I would dare say there are some men in this group, and I've come to find out it's not just men, it's ladies too, that are addicted to defilement in the sensual realm. I think you know what I'm talking about. And it's hurting your marriage, it's hurting your relationships. And for dads, it's causing you to not have good communication with your son because there's a cloud. You're crippled. You're lame. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I'm going to tell you, friends, if he can take you to heaven, he can set you free from that. You see, maybe it's anger. Maybe you're mean. Maybe you're irritable. Now, some are the blow-up type. Some are the slow-burn type. But you know, that's, that, that's stuff. Now, I've got two brothers and two sisters. One of my sisters is now with the Lord. But growing up, out of the five of us, my dad used to say, you know, John has the worst temper. That would make me so mad. <laughs> I mean, I was the kind of kid, when we lived in the uh, south side of Chicago, in the city limits, I got in fights. And I started them. I think it was before I got saved. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> but I just liked to fight. <laughs> terrible oh man i remember one time when coming out of school this little public school the big public schools actually were not public they were the catholic schools <laughs> so i was in the little public school on the south side where uh, that's just where it was uh, uh that uh, area of chicago but at any rate I, I said to some of my friends hey i'm gonna go beat up mario now mario was a good friend of mine i don't know why i was gonna beat up mario <laughs> and i don't know why i chose mario he was bigger than me but you know i just said hey i'm gonna be and they said oh great we'll hold your books <laughs> So they grab my books. I go racing down the sidewalk. There's Mario. I jump on his back down. We go, man. We're duking it out. He's on the bottom. I'm on the top. <laughs> and, you know, we're, I'm just going forward. And all of a sudden, there's all these kids around, and they're all cheering, you know, public school fight. 
All of a sudden, I felt this grip on the back of my neck. <laughs> and my body went straight up into the air. I just six, <laughs> you know, just six or seven years old, you know. And I'm trying to figure out who's got this grip on me. And then I looked into the face of my mother. <laughs> And I'm dangling in the air. And uh, I wasn't expecting to see her then. You know, usually she waited until I got home. Uh, and so she, now at that point, my memory goes blank. But <laughs> according to my brother, <laughs> he said, Mom was dragging me across the street. He said, my feet were hitting the ground every couple of yards, you know, <laughs> and over to the car. And all the kids are now turning on my mom, this mob of first and second graders. <laughs> and they're all saying, oh, come on, let him fight. He won't get hurt. And according to my brother Jim, my mother said, I'd let him fight, but if I do, he'll be late for his piano lesson. <laughs> That's a little embarrassing, but at any rate. <laughs> Maybe you know what it is to have a problem with anger. I'm going to tell you, friends, without the Spirit, it's a mess. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? See, he's the healer. Maybe it's some other addiction, some vice. We live in a world where a lot of people take drugs. They're alcoholics. You know, it is interesting that our world calls alcoholic beverages spirits. Isn't that interesting? See, that's why the Bible says, look, Ephesians 5.18. Don't allow yourself to come under the influence of spirits. Do allow yourself to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. See, the reason is, is what that happens, when you're under the influence, you open yourself up to the enemy. See, the Holy Spirit does not violate our will. He stirs so that we'll respond. But just as God won't violate our will, he doesn't let the devil violate our will either. The Holy Spirit works through a cooperation. See, the will and that faith response. Satan works through a passive instrument, a passive faculty, a passive mind, a passive will. And that's where the misuse uh, uh, of drugs and spirits, all that stuff, uh, that's what opens the door to the enemy. And for many people, they become hooked and they are crippled. If ever there's a crippling thing, it's in the area of substance abuse and alcoholism. It's crippling. Remember a dear friend of mine from high school. He's been with the Lord for probably 15 years now. Why? Because the, the bottle got him. What a tragedy. He was a child of God, no doubt about that. But he was crippled. Today in our world, gambling's a big deal. I can't believe it, man. I travel, and I've been traveling for 28 years now. <laughs> and there's, there's casinos everywhere. Good grief. It used to just be in certain spots. And I used to think, well, that's just, you know, an unsafe problem. No, I'm finding out it's, it's, it's a problem among God's people, too. And it's crippling. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's resentment. And, you know, we live in a world where there's some pretty bad wounds. Abuse in all of its various forms. Wow. Open wounds. But I'm going to tell you, you can get to Jesus, and he can free you. You don't have to live in the prison house of bitterness because all it does when you, when you, when you get bitter is, is it imprisons you. And I realize some people that do the wounding never admit it. That's a pain. And that's a double wound. And you can't release them to them because they don't even admit it, but you can release them to God who says, vengeance is mine, I'll take care of this. 
to get to Jesus. That's the point. Maybe it's some other area. Maybe it's in the realm of the emotions. And we live in a world where there's a lot of emotional, forgive the term, fantasizing. You know what? There may be sins from your youth that you've never fully dealt with. You need to, because if you don't, 30 years later, they may sting you. I've been around the block a long time. It's what happens, folks. See, it's crippling. Maybe it's the misuse of pills. I'm amazed at how many Christian college students are on antidepressants. It's an incredible statistic. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't want to step out of bounds. But it seems to me if you're a child of God and you've got the Holy Spirit in you, there's a better way. See, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? So if there's some sin habit that's crippling and causing you to be late, look, <laughs> you can get to Jesus. He will cleanse you. He can set you free. Let's go further. How about this application, being spiritually paralyzed? Paralyzed. How many paralytics were brought to Jesus? You know, in our world, sometimes things happen and we get all fearful. You know, fear is paralyzing. It's paralyzing. You ever wake in the morning and all of a sudden, you know, you realize, you know, I think I woke up way too early. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're just hit with fear and dread. This started happening to me about a year and a half ago. I thought, what in the world? And morning after morning, I wake up and it's way too early to get up. And not that you couldn't, but I <laughs> uh, didn't want to. And, and all of a sudden, I'm hit with all this fear. Well, God has not given us the spirit of fear. But he has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we have the privilege of dealing with this. You know, you get to Jesus. Why? See, because fear means you're, you're, you're troubled. And if you're troubled, then, then you lose your peace. Because if you're troubled, you don't have peace. And if you don't have peace, you don't have joy. And if you don't have joy, you don't have strength. That's why, God, that's why the enemy hits you with fear. He's after your strength because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And fear uh, causes you to lose your peace, causes you to lose your joy, which causes you to lose your strength. If you have the privilege of saying, no, I'm getting to Jesus, I reject that. Jesus, you died that I might have abundant life, and I am taking you, and I'm excited to see what you're going to do here. And you're free. See, that's the point. Some people have fear because they're not sure they're saved. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You need to know you're saved, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that have just been paralyzed by this fear. And the reason is that they've stopped looking at Jesus. They've stopped looking at the object of faith and they're looking at the subject of faith. They're looking at, you know, am I living right? Oh man, I blew it yesterday. Maybe I'm not saved. Now wait a second. God wants us to live right, but all of us blow it sometimes. You know what? I have a blog where I have a Q&A column on Fridays. You know what question I get more than any other question, especially not just on the blog, but outside of the blog? I have threads that go 80-some emails back and forth, many threads like this, and they're all with, dealing with assurance. It cripples. It's paralyzing. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He can free you from that. Maybe you're spiritually mute. In other words, when it comes to speaking unashamedly about Jesus, it's just not there. Remember, I was in North Carolina one time. I was preaching on the matter of just the gospel witness, just being unashamed of Jesus. And this lady said, preacher, I know, I know the Bible says all that. But you don't understand. I'm shy. Well, I am too. I was so shy that in the seventh grade at a Christian school, I ate lunch by myself by choice. <laughs> I was shy. It's funny how God calls these shy guys to preach. 
But she said, you know, I just can't do this. Well, if you get to Jesus, that can change. See, that's the point. We've got to get to Jesus. I think of a dear lady in Singapore. She was so shy, she would come into the service after it started, and she would leave before it ended, so that nobody could talk to her. <laughs> and they told me, uh, the folk at the church there, said, we don't really know her because she just evades us. But she, you know, we see her face at church, and that's about it. And, and we, you know, they described her as being in the woodwork of the church. Well, this was the fall of 2000. We were holding a Netcasters Evangelism training seminar, a net seminar, a course on the Spirit for Life applied to witnessing. Get to Jesus, access the Spirit, and He can free you to witness. And uh, she came. <laughs> and I mean, she took off work Monday morning to Friday night. In those days, they were grueling modules. <laughs> and uh, uh, she came, and I'm going to tell you, she got to Jesus. God freed her. She became so effective at leading people to Christ. It was amazing. In fact, at first, they kind of had to rein her in as she was chasing ladies into the bathroom to talk to them. But... <laughs> She became so effective, she became a trainer that uh, was used in many other net seminars in the Philippines and other places. You know, that's what God does. Maybe you're spiritually dead. Just the whole sense of revival, you need to be revived. <laughs> Relifed. Revive, relive, re relife, life again. That's what it means. I was in a meeting one time where I was preaching a whole meeting on what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God and know it, which is the essence of revival on the individual level, though there's more to it corporately. And uh, at any rate, as I would preach, there was a girl, uh, a young lady out there, and she was married, she had several kids, and, and she would weep, but she would smile. And so she had tears over the smile. Well, that's interesting, you know, kind of like a rainbow. <laughs> and uh, so a couple days into the meeting, she says, you're probably wondering why I'm crying. I said, well, I am kind of wondering. <laughs> smiling and crying and she said it's because she said you know I grew up in a Christian home she says I was saved as a child she said I never rebelled went to Christian school never rebelled did everything I was told to do went to Christian college and she said I never rebelled I told her you know as far as I knew I was trying to do everything they told me to do and met my husband married here we are in this church and she said I've always done what I've been taught she said but a few months ago I realized you know what you need life you're dull you're dead something's wrong and she said, I cried out, God, what's wrong? She, she's getting to Jesus. I need you to step in. And she said, the reason I'm weeping is that every truth that you're laying uh, out for us and point by point as to what it is to step into revival, step into personal revival, be filled with the Spirit of God, cleansing, and then the filling and so forth. She said, every truth that you're teaching, she said, that's what God taught me since I cried out. And she said, I'm just sitting here rejoicing <laughs> because what you're saying is what God taught me already. And she says, I'm experiencing what you're preaching. <laughs> Man, hallelujah. You know, when Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? He was very specific, but in that spe specific request was honesty. Lord, that I might receive my sight. In other words, I'm blind. Now, friend, if you want help, you got to get honest whether it is the self-righteousness of spiritual blindness or you can't hear the voice of God, the spiritual deafness or there's some sin habit that cripples and makes you lame or whether it's the paralysis of fear or whether it is uh, uh, not being able to, to speak up for Jesus or whether it's just an overall dullness and deadness. If you will get honest and call sin what God calls it and don't make ex excuses, don't blame somebody else even though sometimes people say things and we respond. Fact is, we responded. Okay, so just get honest about your part of it. Here's what will happen. The blood of Jesus will come rushing in and clean you all up. Friends, when you and I get honest, 
he is faithful and just to release and to cleanse. That blood cleans you up. And friends, when that happens, you can take that clean heart. Why? Because God says you're clean. And you can walk out saying, you know what, I'm clean. I knew for years what it was to confess. I had that one down because I had a lot of things to confess. <laughs> but when God taught me to by faith take the clean heart, it was revolutionary. Because when you get honest, he cleanses. That's the beginning. That's the way in. Then you can move on to the spirit-filled life, and we'll unfold that more, I'm sure, in some other uh, sessions. But friends, it starts with getting honest. Now back to where we started. If Jesus were standing here today, he said, what do you want me to do for you? I think we'd all talk to him. Well, let's do it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.